Ooh, I like the big buttons. Hello everyone and welcome to Rad Chat. Welcome to podcast number 31. My name is Jane McNamara and I'm joined by my fellow host, Naaman Jolka Anderson. Hi everyone. So a big thank you to our last guest, June Davis from Macmillan, who talked about allied health professionals in supporting people with cancer. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we are really pleased to introduce our guest today, Linda Thomas, who is the CEO from Macmillan. So hello, Linda. Welcome. Hello, Joe. Hello, Naaman. Hello to everybody listening. Oh, so it's so lovely that you've joined us, Linda. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, uh, which I can't believe that's many people, uh, do, do you want to tell them who you are and maybe a bit about your career pathway? Yeah, why not? Thank you. So first of all, thanks very much for letting me have the opportunity to come and talk on this podcast. It's just great. So my name's Linda, Chief Executive at Macmillan. I've been doing this job for the last seven years. It's been amazing. As you know, Macmillan is an organisation that supports um, the three million people living with cancer in the UK. And every year we do our very best to support people in whatever way they need. So me personally, I am a woman who lives in North London. I'm Welsh by background. Got three kids, husband, cockapoo, usual things, love running, doing all sorts of fun, sporty things. Um, I spent the last 20 years of my career at Macmillan, which has just been amazing. But I started off in communications. So please don't ask me any any technical questions today because I just won't be able to answer them. But my, my, my background, really, communications. Then I moved into fundraising and, you know, raised loads of money. And then I thought, I want to have a crack at doing some service work. So, you know, service and influencing. And now got the chance for the last seven years to be able to kind of um, head up this amazing organisation and a whole range of things I do on my day-to-day work. So it's a great organisation. What what do you do as a CEO, Linda? So for anyone who doesn't know about what CEO is, what is it? Well, I suppose I suppose ultimately there's there's a number of different ways of answering that, but um, but I'll have a go at doing this one. So I suppose ultimately, right, the, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me, right? So um, so I have to have my little eyes and ears across most things that happen in the organisation. But of course, everything that happens in Macmillan is actually done either by the team in the organisation or by our amazing Macmillan professionals out there in the field. So what do I do? Um, I make sure the conditions are right for all of that to happen. So I make sure we've got the money to be able to do it. I make sure that we've got the infrastructure to be able to do everything gosh that sounds really boring um but from an internal perspective you know i run i run an executive team where you know we 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 manage all of that and we make sure that everything can happen so that the people employed can do their jobs and then from an external perspective i suppose i'm a bit of a figurehead for the organization so that can be everything from going in and having meetings with prime ministers not this one i hasten to add i've not yet met boris um and i don't know if i'll get the chance to now um but certainly you know like health secretaries um uh, NHS England, NHS Wales, NHS Northern Ireland, Scotland. So making sure that we work with all the devolved nations, I'll I'll go and do lots of stuff around advocacy work around that. Um, I'll spend a lot of time with our donors. So making sure that for people who, you know, it's really important that they have that relationship with the chief execs or corporate partners and major donors. And I'll do a lot of work like that. 
Um, and really, I suppose, well, prior to the pandemic, I was hardly ever in the office. It was always, it was very much about kind of like being out there and about there and doing stuff which um, which helped the organisation move itself forward. During the last two years, that's been really different. I'm now speaking to you from my um, my home and that's where I've been pretty much for the last two years. And, and that's just required some different thinking and different ways of doing things. But um, every day I can, have, I can have about 10 meetings in a day and I have to go from one thing to another very quickly. So I suppose that adaptability is something that you need to be able to do and you know one minute be talking about health policy and the next minute be talking about budgets um but yeah but it's you know it's a privilege to be able to do this role and the most exciting thing about the role is always meeting the people and when i say that i don't mean the prime ministers i mean the mcmillan professionals the volunteers and the staff who work for mcmillan it's just a humbling organization to be part of so um, yeah, and luckily, just before we went back into this work from home, I was lucky to be able to be out and about. And I was at Chelsea and Westminster and down in one of the health boards in Wales uh, over in Northern Ireland as well, because that's like the lifeblood of what I do is like I really enjoy seeing the work on the ground because it enables me then to talk about that work with people who will either fund that work or with people who will say, hey, that's a great idea. Let's roll that out nationally. So a whole load of stuff. Yeah, sounds very exciting. Um... Do you miss the travelling at the moment? Well, yes and no. I mean, yeah, probably, yes. And I miss being in the office and I miss the interaction. And, you know, that's been... I remember when the first lockdown happened, I was actually really jealous of people who could go to work. So, you know, if, if people working in Tesco's, I was thinking, at least you can go to work. I'm sitting in an office. Um, and, of, and, of course, you know, as the time goes by, you just adapt. Um, what I'm quite enjoying is not having to be... I was never at home. So that's actually been really nice the last couple of years, being able to have more of a kind of work-life balance from a home perspective, you know, um, and that's been lovely. Uh, but I do miss that face-to-face -face interaction. We've managed to adapt pretty well, I would say, at Macmillan and, you know, do as many things online as we possibly could do. And that includes, like, you know, having sessions with Macmillan professionals, for example, and seeing our work in hospitals and talking to people, but just doing it in a very different way. But I was beyond excited to go to Chelsea and Westminster and actually meet real people um, and funnily enough we were having we had a meeting with the senior team there and something came out of it about a partnership um, for for people with protected characteristics and that would never have happened if we hadn't been face to face so I think you know the sooner we can get back to doing a little bit more like that the better actually but um, yeah so a bit yeah, of yes that... and a bit of no actually naming that's a long rather a long <laughs> answer, it's always nice though um speaking as a mum to have that time on a train having a coffee with no oh, one going mum <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And I noticed that when we were at the Macmillan Professionals Conference, which we managed to get away before Omicron came along, we had about 300 Macmillan professionals um, in Manchester just before all of that happened. And, you know, that was great. And just to see that kind of you could see people were visibly relaxing because they were away from their families and they were away from uh, their workplace setting and just different conversations. And, and you're quite right, Joe. I mean, one loves one's family. I love my family. They're great, but you can't have enough of them. And during the first lockdown, we were all fed up to the back teeth with each other because my kids have all grown up. So they were then coming. They came back. Um, the dynamics were fascinating. And I'm sure this has been played out the length and breadth of the country. It's a, it's like a PhD study waiting to happen, yeah, isn't it? Looking at definitely. family dynamics through a pandemic. So, Linda, you did touch upon it a little bit. And as someone who did my clinical fellowship with Macmillan entirely remotely. How do you think Macmillan's had to face maybe some of the challenges, but also opportunities that the pandemic has brought to the um, business? 
Yeah. So, I mean, to be honest with you, we coped brilliantly. And within 24 hours, we had pretty much everything up and running. And I suppose that reflects we were in a pretty good place before the pandemic. And I think that really helped. And and particularly a pretty good place from a, dare I say it, technology perspective, because literally people picked up their laptops, went home, plugged them in and started working, which would have been unheard of probably in the years leading up to that. So that was really good. Um, so we were able to keep the contact centre open right the way through. And we were able to set, deliver that same service for customers. And, you know, we did things like we set up the coronavirus and cancer page on the website, which doesn't sound like much, right? But my God, it was the most, it was a web page that had the most hits, what's going to happen to my treatment. So, and that was updated on a daily basis. And there was a small group of people uh, led by one of our senior clinicians who just updated that and kept that up to date. So I think being able to take that sort of, oh, this is what patients are telling us. This is the, therefore what we need to make sure we put on that page was really super helpful. Um, we moved the contact centre remotely and we are going to continue to keep the contact centre remotely and that's been a massive success. People were working from their ironing boards on day one, you know, they were literally they were taking calls from patients who might have had their diagnosis but, but you know, I mean it's hard to remember now what a scary time that was for people but it was terrifying and that remoteness with the contact centre has been a real blessing actually because it has meant we've actually increased the number of staff working in the contact centre during the pandemic because of the demand and it's meant because we're not based in an office we can recruit people from all over the UK now and that's been a real bonus and I think we've seen the advantages of perhaps having some more you know not having to be confined by geographical boundaries um, and that was true from some of the services that we set up with volunteers as well Macmillan volunteers were very very upset to be told not to go and do face-to-face -face work uh, they are the type of people that are get up in the morning because they want to go and help people but they often were helping clinically vulnerable people and and quite often they were in some ways vulnerable themselves so we had to be really clear about that no you can't do that what we did though was we set up the telephone buddying service so people were buddied with people and again what was great about that was that you were able to be buddied with anybody anywhere in the country rather than I need to find somebody like in my case it would be somebody who lives around the corner from me in London um, and that was hugely beneficial and again that service will continue as well um, we approached Bupa because we recognised that counselling was a major issue from people with mental health problems and we knew the NHS couldn't deliver it. So it enabled us in a way to free up the, rather than a long-winded conversation, which would have been, well, can we go and work with anybody else? Well, why would we want to? It was almost like, we've got no choice, we've got to. So we approached Bupa and we set up the counselling service with Bupa. Um, and again, that was done, that's been done completely remotely and we've now it's been so successful that we've now incorporated that into business as usual. So that's now going to be something that we just do going forward, which means that people living with cancer can have um, six and sometimes more sessions with a BUPA counsellor just by ringing the support line. And we and, and it's just, I think we cut down on some of the bureaucracy, actually, funnily enough, during the pandemic and had a little bit more of a, of a sort of, you know, JDI approach to things. And that's been really helpful. I think the virtual kind of working is something that's been quite... I don't think at first people were very against it, but now the benefits, so like telemedicine, so we yeah. do a lot of telephone calls with patients now, and actually some patients open up more because they're in the comfort of their own home. It's probably the same with the body system or the counselling yeah. as well. It's it's quite nice. So obviously as a therapeutic radiographer, we have some very intimate talks about people's bowels, their bladders, yeah. their sex life, everything, but actually face-to-face, -face, that kind of hesitation that can always be there but over the phone I think it, I do find it a bit easier and some patients open up a lot better. 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, and I'm sure that's probably very true. Um, we One of the things that's really been transformed as well is our use of web chat. So pre pre before the pandemic, the contact centre, which takes about 350,000 referrals a year in through that, um, was largely a phone-based service. The use of web chat has massively increased, um, which of course has been a blessing and a challenge because we've had to train people to use simultaneous web chats and do things like that. Um, so, so different requirements for the workforce. But I think again, Naaman, to your point, sometimes it's easier maybe to write stuff down um, than to actually speak it out loud, particularly, you know, around side effects, um, other things. Um, financial issues and worries are a big concern for people. And sometimes maybe it's just easier to write it down rather than, you know, have a, a long conversation with somebody. So I agree with that. I think that's right. What I do think that we saw there was fundraising never really worked online. So the diff so one part of the organization worked quite quite well. At first, everyone was really keen on, oh, let's do a Zoom quiz to raise money and let's do this and let's do that. That's all gone so completely now. So, you know, really back to face-to-face -face fundraising in a way that we were before, because that's the, the way that people want to interact with us. So I suppose everybody's had to just be so much more flexible, haven't they? They have, yeah. And also, I know there's the catch up to cancer campaign that McMillan have been yeah. part of. Um, so Radiotherapy UK. So Joe and I do a lot of work with them. So you know, going to we didn't get to go to Parliament. That would have been amazing. But um, yeah, yeah. So all of that campaign that's been going on in the background as well has been has been amazing. Obviously, it's shining a light onto cancer services in a different yeah. way than it's probably ever been seen before. I'm sure that's probably what's something you've seen. Oh yeah, and we've led that with with um, with all of the cancer charities as well. So we created an organisation called One Cancer Voice, so that all cancer charities were speaking through that one voice, rather than you know forty two charities all saying the same things to Department of Health. Um, during the first phase, we got a session with Matt Hancock because we were so worried about everything changing, um, and I think that is what then led to. Uh, we need to make sure that we protect cancer services and they were then completely prioritised, you know, now and last winter as well, uh, because I think everybody started realising that there, there was a huge problem being stored up. And I'm sure it's the same for all diseases, but with cancer being a progressive illness, it was, you know, it was going to be a major political problem. So I think things like that were really helpful. And, you know, one of the ways that we use technology was we did a lot of, when a lot of um, cancer patients came to us. So we built up quite a big database during the pandemic and we would put people in touch with their local MP and we would arrange Zoom calls where they could have that. Now that, if you have to arrange for people to go to Westminster and find Time to do it it's going to take load of time really easy if you're only asking somebody to give up 30 minutes hugely successful and I think genuinely think that opinion leaders MPs influencers they really understood cancer much better than they did prior to that because they were have, able to have that conversation with the patient not just with us as intermediaries so um, I think that was a, a really good thing. And then obviously Macmillan's Forgotten Sea campaign, we have been banging on about the fact that cancer can't be deprioritised. And there's a load more work to do on that. And there's a load more work, as you know, on the workforce, looking at the workforce. And I still think, you know, when, when you hear people talking about, oh, we need more nurses and we need more doctors, it's like, no, stop. We need things to work differently and a whole multidisciplinary team approach. And let's not forget about all those allied health professionals who are so important as well. So... Lots done, but lots still to do. I think as you touched quite nicely there on um, or the workforce, so something we spoke to June Davis about in the previous podcast was sort of the cancer pathways and how many different AHPs, allied health professionals can work sort of, you know, with other healthcare professionals, so nurses and doctors, as you said, 
I suppose Macmillan traditionally have developed the cancer workforce or more with emphasis on nursing. Do you see this sort of changing a little bit as exactly as you've said? Yeah, and it's been changing for quite a while, actually. So we're world famous for the nurses, right? And that's worked really well for us because obviously from a fundraising perspective, we also know that's worked brilliantly and it's hard to change perceptions. But we've got roughly 100 different roles um, that we fund across a whole variety, you know, everything from project managers right the way down to our fantastic Macmillan nurses and everything in the middle. Um, but I think, yes, it, and I think it isn't just, you know, in the old days, it will be, we need more of this, we need more of that. Now it's about, we need to work differently, different teams need need this, and how do we incorporate that? And certainly one of the things that we're looking at as well is we've got a very big focus on EDI, which of course, health inequalities has been such a major issue during the pandemic, that also made us realize that actually from an inequalities perspective we need to be starting thinking much more holistically as well about how do we support everybody um, it's not just about putting in um, clinical nurse specialists into affluent areas of the country it's about what's happening with information and support in areas where there is no information and support and how can we do that in a different way that means that we can speak to different communities so I think actually in a way I I actually feel quite energised by all of these because I like a problem. Um, but but unless we start talking differently about the workforce and some work that June and others have been doing with Health Education England has been, please, can we just not talk about more training places? Can we talk about what what this looks like so that in 10 years time, we're not still having that conversation? Um, and I find it fascinating when, you know, even like sometimes when I'm talking to some of our clinical nurse specialists and it's clear that they're doing the job that many other people could be supporting them with, but they haven't got that in place. So, uh, so much interesting stuff there. I think that's what June was saying as well yesterday. It is, it is almost about thinking outside of the box and not necessarily yeah. who's doing the job, but who's best equipped and who is able to yeah. maybe work across a pathway with different pathologies and I know sitting as part of the uh, chief medical officers team you could definitely see that you know I was so privileged to be able to do that fellowship because you could really sense the passion and motivation in the room and during Covid um, you know it was almost like a support group <laughs> we met every single week and I think unless you've worked for Macmillan, you maybe don't see behind the scenes yeah. of that peer support network and that camaraderie really in terms of we're working yeah. together, but for the patients. Um, Definitely. And I think as well, in terms of your EDI, um, is have you got aspirations in terms of Macmillan to kind of combat that within communities? So what is it that you're yeah. doing um, on the on the ground really to yeah. make sure that those things are being addressed? Yeah, so we've got a big EDI strategy that we launched just year. It's got three pillars. I can talk about two of them, which are the most relevant here. One is about how we look and feel internally, which might not sound like it's the biggest deal, but it is because actually, unless we diversify the workforce internally, that it's really hard to see how we can properly represent it externally. So, um, so we're really looking at how we can we put, set ourselves some targets, for example, around um, having a, a more of a Black Asian minority ethnic workforce, having more people with disabilities working in the organisations. The charity sector traditionally has been quite white and female, and it needs to change. Um, so we're, we're doing a lot of work around that. Um, but the second thing that we're doing and the 
most important thing really is, as you say, the work on the ground to support different communities. So um, we are looking at a whole range of ways of doing that. We've got something crazy, like about 350 different partners that we work with across the UK. The first job we needed to do was to actually collate all that information and say, well, what is it that we already do? And that's everything from, you know, working with religious organisations. So for example, we're doing some work with a mosque in Birmingham, where we've embedded a, 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 a post holder within that mosque and they 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 and, and it's but it's somebody from the community and it's not really badge Macmillan either because I think that's the other thing great big you know especially white looking organizations you can't just blunt bung a logo on something and expect everyone to go yippee um, so it's, it's just a lot more subtle ways of working but very much working from a, how are we within that community and then enabling that community to talk to the you know it's rather than you know it's almost like the, I think, third world um, uh, overseas organisations have been working in country, different countries have probably done a lot more of that. They've moved from a, hey, let's go in and solve it all for everybody to a, let's embed the infrastructure within that community. And that's what we're doing in Macmillan as well, because, you know, I mean, you'll know this, but and maybe your listeners will, but people's outcomes from Black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities are very much compromised compared to, you know, if, if you're from a white middle class background, for example. Um, one of the things I'm really passionate about is social demographic um, metrics. So I come from a place in South Wales, which is not like the place I live in North London. And I've just recently taken a job um, as a non-executive director on the health board down there. And the poverty and the social deprivation is massive. And when you look at, so I was quoted a statistic that said at 50, people start 15 years of poor health before they die. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm 55. I don't feel anywhere near poor health. So how do we support organizations like that and support different um in different you know it's not easy but we need to do more of it so we're very much on that mission when you said about embedding into communities linda how have you how's mcmillan or how's your team been doing that so in a variety of ways. So, as you know, we work geographically across the UK. So the partnership managers are now going out and developing partnerships. There's everything from like the mosque example I quoted um, in Birmingham to a whole different range of projects right the way throughout the UK. What we're also doing nationally as well is looking at organisations who maybe better place than us. us. So uh, last year, we were all blessed to be working with an organisation called um, Black Cancer Rising, which is Black Women and Breast Cancer. And again, when when I went on a podcast and listened to some of people's experiences, it was horrific to think that this was happening in for, for, for young women with breast cancer in 2021. So that would be much more of a national partnership. Okay, so well, how can we work with you and through you uh, to develop some messaging? And, and again, we have to take a big step back and sometimes we have to provide the resources and so the money and the people, but not actually brand ourselves in any way on that because there's a big mistrust of... Um, organizations like Macmillan, like the NHS, for example, within those communities. So a whole different variety of ways of doing it, actually. Um, yeah. Does that give you what you want, Naaman? Does that? Yeah, definitely. I think um, I'm, I'm glad you touched on the Black Women Rising charity. So I've, I've been doing a bit of work with them as well. One of our previous guests who came on, um, Ina Butt as well, she does a lot of work in the Southeast Asian community. Um, so she, similar to what you've described for going to mosques, she's um, going to some gurdwaras, temples and mosques yeah. uh, all over, kind of around, in and around London, basically, um, kind of developing flyers that I think, as you've touched on, are, they're 
not only more inclusive, but it's more for that community. So some communities yeah. may not want to see an actual face um, on, for example, a breast examination um, yeah. leaflet. So it, as you said, it, it's nice to see that it's becoming more personalised for the different communities. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think the the biggest learning for me around all of this is you've got to really fess up to what you don't know and what you can't do. And it's been a massive learning curve for, to me, for me, everything from, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement happened about how people within the organisation felt, for example, and how different people's experiences were. And just recognising that everybody comes from a completely different place. And that, you know, if we look at things like the vaccination programme, sometimes it's hard to understand why people wouldn't get vaccinated until you take a step back and say, actually, what has people's experience of life been? Um, and I guess that's been a big learning curve for me and something that I'm still very much on that journey. Exactly. You touched on it. Some of the statistics from different communities. So I know, I know she mentioned that a statistic she found is that one, one in five Southeast Asian women think that um, breast cancer only affects middle aged white women. And because of that, they're still, yeah. you know, oh, it's not going to happen to me. But it's yeah. to hear that from different communities. So obviously that's yeah. one that's my community that I'm from. I, I didn't realise it was like that. Um, and I work in the northwest London, so, and I used to work in Somerset. It's a very, very contrasting, yeah. sort of diverse, you know, areas now that I work in. Um, so many different backgrounds and it is amazing. I think in our department we have over maybe 20 different languages that are spoken um oh, which is amazing isn't it so yeah, lots of good food that. as well when we're allowed to when it's covid secure but <laughs> so. i definitely that, that's why i'm longing to go back to that part of the world as well name and to get back someone to have some more of that lovely food but yeah i mean we we've um we've noticed like the that the language service we offer on the contact center for example so we can offer a translation service into tens and tens of languages and how important that has also been and um and you know I, i'm i'm part of a marginalized community which is a welsh speakers so there's not many of us right but recently been doing some work as well with the health board down in wales about how important again it is for people whose first language is welsh to be able to get services in that language and it's practically impossible to do that and um so so i think you're right and we had a fantastic and quite a a person who you know really had to take a big deep breath to come and talk to our board in October as part of our away day she was a, a woman from the black community who twice been diagnosed with breast cancer oh it was just fascinating listening to her experiences as well and exactly what you're saying about your communities and when she told us that you know for black women there is a massive stigma and there is still this issue that it's something that you've done to yourself I've got breast cancer because and it's my fault and she was talking to us about gynecological cancers and basically saying the reason people don't declare gynecological cancers is because within her community it's seen as that you've had sex outside of marriage for example and that's what's caused it so it that, that's what I mean about the first thing you've got to do is you've got to try and understand everybody comes at this from a different standpoint and logical reasoning well well of course you're going to do this and take this service just doesn't work if you don't understand um the the just the lives that people have had leading up to diagnosis exactly that and it's the different background communities how families kind of view them as well which very different yeah. but um, no, very exciting work. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. Well, it's really forward. important. It's very, very important work. And I think, you know, I mean, hold me to it, right? Let's do this podcast again in a year's time. And, and you know, we need to come in here with many, many more examples of what we're doing at that point. But there's a big focus on it within the organisation. Yeah. And I suppose with the kind of the podcast, as you mentioned with us, so Joe and I are doing quite a lot around 
kind of getting more engagement within equality, diversity, inclusion. So if we can, we'll try and link them with you, especially people like Aini as well. That would yeah, be, be fantastic. Yeah. But um, if anyone is listening, Joe is here. She's just struggling with her um, technical difficulties. So I'm just going to ask him a few more questions, Linda, if that's all right. Um, yeah. I suppose moving forward, um, I mean, it's been almost two years of the pandemic now. What are Macmillan's main priorities? So I know EDI is one, as we've talked about. Um, well, I think we're in quite a privileged position coming out of the pandemic because thanks to our wonderful supporters who have kept supporting us all the way through, we are coming out of it in quite a strong position. So it feels really incumbent on us now to make sure that we spend that money in the best possible way. So, you know, we know that from a, from a, what's going to happen to cancer is it's there's going to be many more people diagnosed, people are going to give longer and it's going to be much more complicated. So our strategy has got to be very much about how can we meaningfully support the most people in the best way around that. So. Uh, a very big focus on service development, a very big focus on innovation. So we will be continuing to do the things that we do and we will continue in be, to have be continuing to have a people approach in terms of, of course, we're going to want to have more posts in the NHS. Of course, we're going to have, want to have more work with that system as well. But I think some of the innovation stuff as well is particularly interesting and when we look at what might be happening in the next five to ten years getting ourselves set up for that I think will be interesting as well and that's everything from um, we're currently working with Grail on the on the you know the pilot that's happening um, the the pilot was all set up and it was all absolutely brilliant but nobody thought about what would happen when a patient got a positive test through that and Macmillan is working on that so we've now got pe two people on the contact centre who are there to offer advice to people who get results Results which needs interpreting because I think as new technology and innovation happens and as more data is available you need more people to help people disseminate that otherwise what happens is you get a group of people who are expert patients who can understand and advocate for themselves on everything and then we will have even less leveling up happening to quote um, uh, the, the Prime Minister's words or Michael Gove's words so I think it, things like that are actually really exciting so there's going to be a balance of we continue to do what we do really well, but also looking at what's happening from an innovation perspective. You know, I talked about Bupa, which other organisations might we be able to work with to support um, people? We've got the biggest shakeup in NHS landscape than we've had since 2013 with the new ICSs. How do we work with the integrated care systems? What's our role? Um, you know, we can't. We we know, for example, that we can't do end of life in isolation. It can't just be about cancer. So how do we work with other conditions as well? So, I mean, honestly, as I talk, I think, wow, this is the most incredibly exciting landscape. But I suppose, again, it's that focus is what is what is Macmillan's focus and not trying to do everything for everybody. Um, but there's certainly a lot to think about. Looks a busy agenda, Linda. <laughs> lots, yeah. of, lots of work to go on, but really exciting. And uh, obviously with Macmillan, um, the patient is at the heart of everything you do, which is um, amazing to see and hear. So, Linda, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Um, so we ask everyone who comes on a standard question at the end, which is essentially, do you have any top tips for anyone about more or less anything? So I don't know, you might have an aspirational student listening, thinking, I'd like to be a CEO. Um, or you might have a patient going, oh, I'd quite like to get involved in volunteer work for Macmillan. Yeah. Is, is there anything that you, you could kind of offer as a top tip? 
Oh, 100%. I think if anybody's thinking about that, just do it, right? So I think my top tip is I never had a, for, for, if anybody's got an, an inspiring CEO, right? I never had a career plan. I've got a two to a very average degree from Warwick University in psychology, right? I do not have great academic credentials. Um, but I think these sorts of jobs, charities are brilliant places to go and work because you can, you, you know, I talked about the breadth of my role, right? And within that, there are teams, there are some teams there that will just be working on a hiking program for fundraising and other people will be working on advocacy programs. And within a charity, there's a whole load of different things. So Macmillan runs a graduate trainee program. We are also about to embark on an apprenticeship program as well. And particularly we're looking for apprenticeships um, uh, for people, for example, in technology and things like, and areas like that. And particularly, we are looking for apprentice apprenticeships and graduates who come from a non-traditional white background. Um, and I think that that so, so that will be really interesting. If anybody's interested in that, they should just get in touch. And as for volunteers, we have twenty-two thousand of them, and they can do a whole range of things, everything from cheering at the marathon, and we do it better than anybody else, right the way through. I'm not competitive, by the way. Um, right the way down to the telephone buddy scheme or actually now the services will start opening up again in the spring around being able to go into people's homes and help them as you know we probably have that there are ward buddies around the country for example people who go and support people in clinics and in Brighton we have this amazing service which is about head for head and neck cancer patients where you have people in the clinic where people are being diagnosed who've come through the treatment because that's such a difficult area um, so you know as you can tell, I am passionate about Macmillan, but not just about Macmillan, about charities as a whole. I think you can have a great career and you can have a great volunteering career or, you know, professional clinical career as well. So, yeah, do it. JFDI. Oh, thank you. So that's all from us now. So thank you for listening to Rad Chat. Your hosts today have been myself, Jay McNamara and Naaman Jolka Anderson. A huge thank you to our guests, Linda Thomas. Head over to our YouTube page to see a live recording of this podcast. And if you're utilising the podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with links to resources and literature discussed within the podcast. To receive your accredited CPD certificate, please complete the Google form linked with the podcast. So our next guest to feature will be Charlie Parvin, who will be discussing the transition from therapeutic radiography student to a band five newly qualified member of staff on the NHS. So we've gone from CEO to newly qualified. So we're with a huge breadth of career. But thank you again, Linda. And good night, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you.